the accounting profession is at a fork in the road. Private equity money, M&As, it's changing the whole game and nothing's going to be as it was. Are we uh, at the point of no return, Jim Book? I think we are at the point of no return. I, we've seen it coming for quite some time. Uh, we've seen it gaining a lot of momentum. It started uh, It started probably about five years ago. We started to really pick up activity. So some of the first firms into private equity are now about ready to go through their first, uh, you know, first round again and uh, see to see what happens. But it's not going away. It has totally changed, totally changed the dynamics on how firms are being acquired. Uh, it has changed the metrics on how firms are selling, the multiples they're selling for. It's created a lot of disruption in a space that has historically been pretty stable as far as acquisitions go. That's a great point on disruption. You'd think that accounting has been ever thus for thousands of years and debits and credits and running a firm and the typical firm structure. But uh, times are a changing. You talk to a lot of managing partners, owners of firms, Jim. What kind of things tend to come up in those conversations as priorities? So, you know, priorities, it's, you know, when, when, when I talk to CEOs of firms, they're you know, how do they keep their firm relevant way into the future? And, you know, the original discussion was they started talking about advisory services, you know, getting away from the traditional audit and tax. You know, th again, that that will continue to drive revenue for firms, accountancy firms around the globe for many years to come. But it's all the other revenue that firms have that is now starting to show up on the radar for groups like private equity groups. Why would private equity decide to invest in a profession for traditional tax work, for traditional type of financial statement work? No, it's it's for their client base and it's for all those other things that they can sell into their client base that maybe those accounting firms didn't think about in the past. Well, I'm not as much of an expert on private equity as you are. But they're buying it for a reason, as you say, and they see money in it. They see profit in it. They see uplift in it. And there's obviously something that accounting firms are doing that private equity thinks they can do better and extract more from. One of the obvious things is the way accounting firms are run and squeezing more productivity. So talk to us about the traditional change, the, the, the business models of accounting firms and the managing partner. You say you talk to a lot of CEOs. I said managing partners. So that is changing, isn't it? Well, it is. Here, that, that's another change, right? Because firms, the leader of firm used to be a managing partner. And that was pretty much global around the world, even where I'm at in North America. But as we have become more corporate over time, uh, we're running our businesses like we would advise our clients to run their businesses. And more often than not, the leaders of those firms around the globe, they're getting rid of their managing partner title and they're becoming CEOs. And because that's the title that that's used out there in 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 at all of our business clients, right? So, the things that we're advising our clients for. So it's I'll tell you, there's 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 really no turning back. It's it has changed. Private equity has changed our profession forever. Uh, it you're right. It's they are running. Private equity groups are coming into our profession because they see an opportunity to derive more profitability out of an already very profitable profession. I mean, 
accountants, chartered accountants, CPAs, they're not stupid. We've been running this industry, these businesses for many, many, many years. And for the most part, accountants live pretty comfortably. You know, they live in nice homes. They drive nice cars. They go on nice vacations. So they, they, they have a lot of great things, right? If those, the material things are, you know, a, a sign of uh, how profitable or, or how, how good you run your business, they know that they can run the businesses even, even better. And why is that? Because like most accounts, we get very close to our teams. It's like every firm is like a family. We run it like a family. We take care of the family. We, we run it that way. Big business for the most part is not run that way. It's run for the benefit of the shareholders at the end of the day. It's run for increasing profitability. So with that, We've seen a tremendous change in those firms that that have accepted private equity. Uh, it, firms are run differently. There's a profit motive now to run firms, and there's a huge focus on accountability at the partner level, uh, accountability at the partner level about driving profitability for the firm. If, for example, we, we talk in our, in our industry many for many years about Weeding out those C-level clients, those D-level clients, service those A clients, those B clients, those clients that are willing to pay your fees. And we would talk about it, but the reality is we've been doing work for someone for a long time, or they used to give us business years ago. We would look the other way. We would continue servicing them, even though they may not have been the best payers, even though they may. And you're emotionally attached to clients. There's a duty of care there, Jim, isn't it? No, it, it is. So we are historically, I mean, we would meet with our clients. We were they were like family. And my clients would call me. Yeah. My clients would call me for no matter what service that they needed, regardless if it was in my wheelhouse or not. And you'd see them in town. You maybe see them at church. You're walking down the road. That's your community. Yeah, they know. They know. We know their families. They know our families. That's the way it was. But again, everything changes, uh, and our profession is changing globally. This is not unique to a a continent, a region, a country. We're seeing this globally this global change in our profession. Let's talk about tech in a little pivot here, Jim. You're very tech savvy. You're an early adopter of a lot of things. We can't talk about accounting now without the impact of technology on it. What's your take on it all? You're absolutely right. It happens, you know, the the revelation was COVID, you know, the pandemic that happened globally. Uh, our profession didn't just survived during the pandemic. Our profession thrived during the pandemic globally. Why? With all the death and destruction that took place in the pandemic, accountants were able to service their clients without, for the most part, going into the office by leveraging technology. You know, we've been preaching about technology in the profession, going to the cloud for the longest time. You know, the best firms out there went to the cloud prior to the pandemic and they were able to serve their clients. So, you know, that early stage technology allowing firms to thrive. Now, you were talking about generative AI. We're talking about RPA. We're talking about machine learning. That is the next technological change to our profession. Generative AI is go going to automate all those manual tasks that we have. And if you're not willing to embrace this technological change, I mean, look out. You may not be relevant as a firm in years to come. When you look at the way tech is changing and so fast. We're saying goodbye to a baby boomer generation that have been the guardians of the profession for so long. We've got this new generation coming up and you've talked about that to us on other shows that we've done together, Jim. 
how excited are you about what's coming up with the people that are coming up and their tech knowledge and tech? They're so natural with it, aren't they? It is. It is. I am super excited because why? They grew up on these guys, right? They grew up on these, right? So we grew up on these. I grew up on this this way, right? This is how I grew up on this. They didn't grow up on it that way. They grew up on it, you know, this way with their fingers, right? With keeping in touch with friends the same way, whether it's social media, whether it's instant messaging, text messaging, that's how we're going to collaborate with our clients. And we're seeing it today. We're seeing our young professionals use technology to the fullest extent. I mean, it's embarrassing when you bring a young professional into, into, into a firm today, you give them, give them a laptop that's a Windows-based laptop. These kids grew up on Apple devices. They grew up on Mac machines, right? So we got a long way to go. Uh, and I didn't mention these kids that come into a firm that may sit in front of a desktop computer. That, then that's another story. But <laughs> it's, it's, we still have a long way to go in a profession. But I am super excited for the next generation entering the profession because they are going to embrace and continue to drive technological change. There's no doubt about it. Another thing this new generation will not tolerate is bad tech or bad management or bad culture or bad work-life balance or a toxic environment or forcing me to work in this way or do it this way. Speaking to that a little bit, Jim. Oh, my head is spinning, man. So you're, <laughs> you're absolutely right. Uh, you know, and I hear about this from yeah. legacy partners and firms. Jim, we're changing as a profession. These young kids, they're, you know, they want diversity. They want inclusion. They want all these things. They want the latest and greatest te uh, technology that works. They want, I'm like, what's wrong with that? That's, this is the world that we live in today. I mean, yeah. you, you need to change over time. You need to embrace it. You need to look at, those issues that are important to the next generation. Not that the issues weren't important to the baby boomers or the generation even before that, but it's very important. Sustainability, right? ESG. These are things that if you asked a bunch of accountants what ESG was 10 years ago, they probably couldn't tell you what ESG even stood for, right? Yeah. Today, you get a kid out of school, they know exactly what it is. And you know what? Accountants will have a role in reporting on a company's position with respect to sustainability uh, on a going forward basis. So we are changing and I'm super excited about the opportunities that exist for that next generation. Hmm. Let's take the private equity money out of it for the moment. Talk to us about the M&A landscape generally, big firms buying small firms, small firms buying bigger firms. There's a lot going on in the UK and all over the world there. What's your take on, on that whole consolidation piece, Jim? It's, it, it, it continues. It goes through spurts where it gets very, very active, and then it uh -huh. gets, you know, it slows up quite a bit. I'll tell you, the last 15 years, it's been so active, even in my own firm. We are always, always talking to another firm, always. And I, I bet you the same could be said about many other large firms around the globe. You're always having to- What are you talking about, Jim? Uh, we're talking about synergies. We're talking about markets that we want to be in. We're talking about niches uh, that we should be in, technology, construction, healthcare. Maybe we have a void. Maybe we need a presence. Maybe there's a city that we need to be in that we're not in. Maybe there's a demographic that we need to service that we don't service. So those are the kind of things we're talking about with other firms. And I'll tell you, most, 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 uh, most partners in firms, CEOs of firms, 
they're having those same discussions with firms that are larger and firms that are smaller today. And when you're talking about those synergies, is it possible these days for a firm to remain independent? So I hesitate um, because I know a lot of firms that want to remain independent um, and they can remain independent. But the problem is it's a very competitive landscape. Today, a firm, well, I look at my firm today, we offer cybersecurity services. We out offer outsourced accounting services. We offer transaction advisory services, in addition to all the normal stuff that a firm would offer, tax and audit. How do you become competitive? How do you stay competitive if you don't acquire, if you don't merge, if you don't bring in the talent? So I would argue you need to change to remain relevant, which is something I said before. Um, because if you don't change and are open to these these changes, I I just think you'll die a slow death. I mean, there's no more dinosaurs around, right? So, you know, do do they run that same fate of uh, the dinosaurs when they're not willing to change? Now, the dinosaurs, it was out of their hands. They had no control of their future. I would argue that every accountant, every charter accountant, every CPA, they're in control of their own future. They are in control of their destiny. They could change right now. And start doing things today to better prepare them for tomorrow. Some firms are just going to wither on the vine, Jim, if they are not digitized or they've got a, a partner cohort that have not invested in the firm or there's a staffing problems, things like this. And the buyout, the payoff that these owners were expecting, that's just not going to happen, is it? I agree 100%, Rob. It's not going to happen. If you want to, look, Think about advising your client. If your client someday was looking for or is looking for an exit, you don't plan that the day before the exit. You plan that well in advance. Five years ahead of time, you start planning the exit. What do we have to do to make ourselves competitive? What do we have to do to stand out from the crowd? What do we have to do to increase our valuation? I would argue a firm that does nothing today is putting themselves and their people at a disadvantage three, five, 10 years from now. Amen. Amen. You're privy to a lot of deals going on, a lot of back channels and conversations. You must hold a lot of secrets, Jim Bork. Are we seeing a change in the way deals are structured and put together? Uh, we absolutely are. We're seeing, yeah, we're seeing... Many years ago, buying an accounting firm, buying a CPA firm, buying a chart accounting firm, you have no money down. You, you we bring the two groups together. You buy the acquired firm. You bring them in. You give them a job. You give them a paycheck, no disruption to their salary or compensation. And then when they leave, you give them something on the back end to make them whole on what you've acquired. Totally different today. We're seeing all the metrics change. Private equity has driven this. There's a lot of capital in private equity. So what firms are doing, private equity groups are putting more money down up front in acquiring firms, makes it more attractive. Then they're not just taking out the senior leaders, because in the past, you would, you would take out the legacy partners that are close to retirement because they didn't have a succession plan in their firm. Uh, today, private equity is coming in and not just taking out the legacy or senior guys, you, they're coming in and writing reasonable checks, big checks to all the owners of the firm. 
Uh, and so it, it, it's totally changing. It's the deals, each deal is different. We're seeing valuations increase. Why are we seeing valuations increase? Because the number of firms willing to sell is becoming smaller and smaller and smaller as private equity comes in. There's less firms available for them to acquire. Are we going to get to a point, Jim, where there's going to be a, a smaller number of firms that are all big players and they'll just swallow it up and instead of the big four, we'll have the, the big 10 and that'll be it pretty much. If we look so far down the road, what do you see? The big four, well, they're, they're so big, right? They, they will be there and they differentiate themselves and they service the public company space. And I mean, they're buying a ton of firms themselves, aren't they? They are. They are. So they will continue to differentiate. There will always be, whether it's three, four, or five, there will always be the handful of very big firms that service the globe, offices yeah. around. Then you'll have those national firms. Uh, you'll have that mix of very large firms. You, I, I also believe, though, it does create an opportunity for boutique firms. There's a lot of firms today that have become very specialized. They become so specialized that they offer a level of service that is so different than even the bigger firms that can't compete. Mm. Some of those firms have found their niche marketplace, have found their space, and they're capitalizing on that space. An example could be firms that focus in money management, or you know they got out of the tax space, they got out of the audit space, they got out of all that compliance, late hour stuff, and now they're looking at this off-the-clock revenue, managing their clients' money, managing their investments. So, so many firms, boutique firms, have come down this path that they are true specialists. So I believe you're going to have, continue to have true specialist firms, and then you'll have uh, fairly large firms. The I think the days of these 20 to 50-person firms that are just generic, that tend to do everything, they're the ones that are very ripe for uh, for acquisition. Yeah. I'm curious as to why some deals failed, Jim. I had a story about two firms that had tried to merge, but what they'd not taken into account was the culture. So for one of a better example, one had a Coca-Cola type culture and the other had a Panda Pops type, Fizzy Pop type culture, <laughs> and they couldn't get it together at all and merging all of those people and mentalities and offices. Talk to us about some of the reasons why deals fail. Yeah, we see, I mean, we do see it all the time. I mean, are they significant? No, they're not significant, but they happen enough that they come out. It's like anything else. It, you can't just meet a firm, meet partners at a firm and say, we got synergies, let's, let's do it. You don't do that when you get married. I mean, I use the same analogy all the time. You have to have a period of engagement. You have to have a period where you get to know each other. And that is generally the piece that is lacking in the firm deals that have fallen apart. We've seen a lot of firms that just, they didn't really know what each other was like until they got married. They got married too quickly, right? They, they understood their cultures are so different. The way they treat their people are so different. Uh, so you can learn all day about the financial metrics of a firm. You do your due diligence. You do, you know, you, you crunch the numbers. Maybe that all works out just fine. But it's when people meet people, when cultures meet culture, when things like that happen, that is more often than not what I've heard is a common link between deals that just did not work out. I know you're talking there about deals that get done and then there's a divorce afterwards or deals that don't actually execute. Mm -hmm. It's 
both. Uh, oh. I, I would rather a deal that doesn't execute because yeah, sure. now you didn't get into the marriage. Now you yeah. didn't break everything up. Now you didn't suck their clients into your system. And now you got to get a slice for don't they? <laughs> yeah. So it's much better to get it out of the way. I would encourage firms to date a bit, you know, date a bit, get to know each other a bit, yeah. do things together, get the families together, get partners together, get managers together. I know it's hard. But the more you invest up front, the more likely that the marriage will last for a long time. Yeah. A lot of our listeners are, are managing partners, leaders, firm owners. But speak to us about, we talk about this younger generation coming through. They probably see all of this happening around them and above them and decisions being made about the future of their career and the firm. What advice would you give to them, Jim, about maybe having more of a voice or speaking up or doing their own thing? What's what's mm -hmm. going on for them? I would say as a young professional in a firm, you should see, look at these acquisitions, these mergers as opportunity for you. It's, you know, historically, think about it, a firm, what do you have to do to be a partner in a firm? You could check all the boxes, but maybe the firm doesn't grow quick enough. So the worst thing you could tell someone that's in line to be a partner is, you know what, Jim, just keep doing your thing. You're doing everything right. Just keep doing your thing. It's going to happen. We just got to get bigger as a firm. Why should me being a partner be contingent upon you getting bigger? So where private equity and mergers and, and all of that's impacting, if something happens within a firm and I'm a young professional, you got to view that as an opportunity. Hey, I can now differentiate myself. The firm is committed to growing. The firm is committed to becoming more profitable. Now I have potential opportunities there. Is there any suspicion when you talk to the younger people about what's going to happen down the road when the private equity money dries up or they need to take their money out? And these, these owners, these partners, managing partners have done deals that affect these people lower down the food chain who have to pay the price. Is that yeah. a realistic conversation? It is. Is it a concern that a young professional will have? Absolutely. I mean, right. our profession has been around a long time. Our profession will be around for a long time to come. There are companies out there that need us, understand they need us. So no matter what happens in firms, when they're flipped, when they come up for their second flip, and all the concern is, hey, you're going to run out of private equity groups to do the acquisitions. Well, you know what? Something else is going to come along because the bottom line is accounting. I mean, we're the trusted professionals. People need us for tax. People need us for a test. And people need us now more than ever to provide advisory services. So again, I would go into this. Yes, there are certain constituents that have a greater benefit when a firm is sold. The senior shareholders, for example, because they own the most stock, they walk away generally with the most cash in a deal. But at the end of the day, the private equity, why would they be taking the senior guys out? Because they want a return on their investment. They see a potential opportunity. So what I'm saying is they see the potential opportunity in firms as a young professional. You should also see the opportunity in firms as well. Chip, can we ask you as we close to lay down some predictions? You're, you're on the bleeding edge of where things are going with private equity, with technology, with consolidation. You're very outspoken about it. It's difficult to predict what is coming up. We're in such a complex world. It used to be when we could make two, three-year plans, but now it's 90-day plans and let's plan for the half year because we don't know what's coming up. But how would you describe what's going to happen in the next, say, two or three years? Next two or three years, I really see 
the way accountants using technology changing. In what way? In in what way? When you think about it, think about it. Two years ago, no one had a clue what ChatGPT was. Two years ago, no one had a clue what generative AI was. Today, everyone is clamoring about those technologies. Today, everyone, the vendors, software vendors, are saying they have AI in their technology just because it's the right thing to do. What's going to happen is in the past, we, we forced accountants to use technology to go to the cloud, and most embraced it and have gone to the cloud. Embracing generative AI, we're going to see that in our profession. It will be driven by the vendors in our space. There's no doubt about it. The biggest vendors globally, Walters Clore, Thompson, they will continue to invest very heavily in how artificial intelligence, how RPA, how machine learning could play a greater role in tax, in audit, in advisory services. So to me, we're going to see our vendors, the biggest vendors in our space stepping up. We're going to see them offering technology solutions, not just as they've done in the past to get the job done, but to get the job done in a more efficient manner, right? Dealing with things like our labor shortage. We complain all day long. Kids aren't graduating quick enough from school. We're not that talent pool. The accounting profession is not the hot profession for kids to go to out of school. Well, technology, artificial intelligence, generative AI is going to help to automate a significant amount of those manual tasks that were done traditionally by that level. So we're going to see technology playing a greater role in that way in our profession in the next two to three years. There's no doubt in my mind about it. And then when it comes to mergers, acquisitions, when it comes to private equity, we're going to continue to see that play a significant role in our profession. It's not going away. In fact, as I mentioned earlier, the first round of private equity is starting to reach that, that, that second point where they're looking to flip. It'll be interesting on the other side of the flip, where it goes, new players, private equity players coming into the market. Who knows? I mean, does corporate America get involved? Will we see Microsoft in our space playing a role in advisory, in tax? You never know. You haven't mentioned it too, Jim, but this consolidation going on with the software and tech vendors, I presume, in the accounting fintech space. Massive, massive. Today, I mentioned technology is a global language. You got technology companies out of the UK with a target in North America, looking at North American technology companies, consolidation of legacy players. You're going to continue to see consolidation and disruption in that technology space. Yeah. Final words then, Jim, to our listeners and watchers here who are sucking in their breath and and waiting, but they've got to stay relevant. You're not asking them to learn code. No, no. And, and become a total geek and a nerd with the technology. But the times are changing. What advice would you give to them to get ahead of this and stay relevant and stay in the conversation? Simple. It's, it's so simple. Just embrace the change. That's all you need to do. I mean, take down that wall, take down that curtain, and embrace change. Understand this is what that next generation that works for you today, that's what they want. That's what the next generation wants. Embrace change. You'll be more relevant way into the future, and you'll increase the value of your firm to a potential buyer or to the existing shareholders or their future partners and shareholders of the firm just by being willing to make change and to change. Good time to be an accountant, Jim. 
It's a great time. I often say, man, I wish I was 22 all over again entering the profession. It is a great profession for a young professional today. Jim Burke, world class as always. Thank you for your time and your passion. All right, man. Thanks. So happy to be with you today, Rob.